On the next Probably True Solar Stories, we conclude the Red Knight and the Dawn of the Solar Dragon. The evil Gorn has started the second dragon war with the moody but docile energy dragons, trying to replace them with fossil fuels. The dragons fight back with fire, but can they win the war without the help from solar power? Welcome back to Season 2, Episode 9 of Probably True Solar Stories. I'm your host, Tor, Solar Fred Valenza, and finally you're going to see how this energy dragon story becomes a solar energy dragon story. If you've missed parts 1 and 2, you've missed many details about this modern fairy tale world that is powered by energy dragons. And so I highly recommend you listen to those episodes first, or you will be really lost. As always, there are true solar takeaways in the show notes. And finally, at the end, I'll have my thoughts about why I wrote this story and why it's relevant to today's energy transition. Okay, here we go. The Red Knight and the Dawn of the Solar Dragon, Part 3, was written and read by Tor Solar Fred Valenza. Esther had a simple plan. Destroy the power plants. Goran had not moved the dragon power plant caves. He'd simply converted them for burning fossil fuels. The energy dragons knew their locations. They used to be their homes, after all. Besides, fossil fuels needed exhaust and cooling outlets. It was easy to find them. Just attack the towers spewing black smoke. Esther and the dragons attacked the energy transport trains first, then the power plants. There were bloody losses on both sides. Dragons were felled by large millennium harpoons, but not before their white-hot breath ignited the coal and gas train supply lines. After the entire kingdom went dark, the dragons attacked the light palace. In darkness, they now had the advantage. A cool dragon breath blew out any light torches or wax candles lit with fire. Still, the king's guards had their millennium shields and weapons and while Millennium Shields did work as protection, as anyone knows, if you heat a pot long enough, the soup inside boils. Ten dragons died entering the palace caves and searching for the king. On the other side, several hundred kingsmen were turned to ashes. Esther herself eventually found King Maxwell alone in a dungeon, trapped against a brick wall. He was still wearing his gold crown, and she charred him until the crown melted over his face and became a gold puddle on the ground. Without lights and without the king, Luxentia panicked. Finally, the dragons were able to tell the people the truth, that King Maxwell had slain the dragons for fossil fuel taxes and profits. Since everyone knew the dragons didn't lie, Citizens turned against the Red Brigade and asked the dragons for forgiveness. Then they asked the dragons to turn their lights and refrigerators and televisions back on. Esther promised that she would, but only after she defeated Gorin and his Red Knight Brigade. Gorin was not as easy to find as King Maxwell. Without electricity, 
He and his Red Knight Brigade could hide in the dark and attack with millennium harpoons, crossbows, and swords. And so it happened. While patrolling the night, one of Goran's harpoons wounded Esther in the throat. Bleeding from her firebox, Esther returned to Zeno's laboratory to see her children before dying. Where are they? she asked me. I showed her. All five eggs had hatched and were surviving on the minced chocolate oddvarks that I used to feed to Esther as a treat and as a union requisite. Thank you, said Esther. She was in pain and spoke weakly. I don't know how you'll keep them safe after I'm gone, but please try. Let me see your wound, I said. Esther bowed and laid her neck on the laboratory's cold cave floor. Carefully, I examined Esther's firebox wound. There was no sense or kindness to lie to her. Your firebox is shredded, I said. Even if I were a better dragon wizard, I could not repair it, at least not organically. Esther's eyes blinked. What do you mean by not organically, Zeno? You have an invention, don't you? Were dragons also mind readers as well as truth detectors? Perhaps they were. Yes, I said, but first you must be healed. Our pro-dragon brigades were on our side and protected our cave from Gorin. I tended to Esther for several days. She recovered her strength, but as I diagnosed, she could not produce fire from her throat. I wanted her to rest more before showing her my invention, but she was impatient and had very large teeth, so she could still injure me out of frustration. Finally, I showed her. It had never been tested before, but I knew her anatomy and her dimensions, so I wasn't surprised that it would be a good fit. But would it work? On the surface, it looked like Esther's torso and neck were covered in silver-armored scales. At the top of her neck and under her chin was a small tube with a hole. It may have looked like a dragon-skin shield, but it was much more. With the tube-like barrel under her chin, it was a solar-powered weapon. People call them laser cannons today. The energy from the sun would power the batteries under the solar cells, which would provide immense power to the laser cannon placed under Esther's chin. The cannon wasn't coming from her mouth like fire breath, but it was the closest I could do. I designed the trigger to be intuitive for a dragon. Like her old fire burst, all Esther had to do was open her mouth and point at her target. Esther understood. After some adjustments on her neck, she tested the firing on a frozen chocolate-covered oddvok that I'd been slowly feeding to her little dragons. The laser not only punched a hole in the frozen oddvok, but made it explode with a pop. Esther caught some of the pieces and licked her tongue on the melted bits of chocolate oddvok flesh. I'd say it works, Esther said, smacking her lips. Now for Gorin and the Red Knight Brigade. I looked at Esther and hoped my invention would defend her but it didn't erase the rivers of dragon blood that Gorn and King Maxwell had spilled. I said, if I don't see you again, I want to apologize for all that you and your kind have lost. I'm sorry for our selfishness, for our short-sightedness, and for our lies to you and to ourselves. You have nothing to apologize for, Zeno. We dragons do not blame all humans, just the ones that knew better. Thank you for all you've done. If I don't win against Gorin, I know you'll do your best to protect my hatchlings. I will, I assured her. Esther ran out of the cave, her claws stumping on the ground. I followed her, 
worried that the extra weight of the shield would prevent flight. It did not. Esther leaped and flapped her wings. The air current that her wings created pushed me down flat against the cave floor. I stood up and left the laboratory cave, watching as she followed my charging instructions in the morning sun. She began to circle, absorbing the solar photovoltaic light. I'd infused the scales with melanium so Gorin's harpoons would be deflected from her breast and neck. Only Esther's wings were unprotected. The melanium would have inhibited flight. Besides, flying as high as she did, I thought it would be difficult for the harpoons to reach them. But I was wrong. La 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 la, oh, oh, la 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 la. Esther searched all day for Gorin, but couldn't find him. Under her dragon scale solar cells, I'd created solid state lithium iron phosphate batteries, allowing Esther to charge from the sun and store her solar power for use at night. With her batteries fully charged, Esther continued her search at night. With King Maxwell dead, young Prince Maxwell had ascended the throne. When the war started, the prince had used his voice on social media channels to defend the dragons. He vowed that dragons would live with humans in peace when he became king. He was as good as his word. But after he ascended the throne, Gorin and the Red Knight Brigade refused to stand down. To his followers, Gorin promised that he would slay all dragons, and then he would slay Maxwell II, and then he would become king. At night, Gorin and his dragon marauders would emerge from their hiding spots and patiently wait for Esther and her dragons to fly over. And that is how the last battle began. Gorin saw Esther circling a power station and fired a millennium harpoon at Esther's solar cell chest. To his shock, Gorin saw the harpoon bounce off of Esther's chest. When Gorin fired it, he had revealed himself to her. Seeing Gorin clearly now, Esther swooped down to sear him to a medium rare. Others in the Red Knight Brigade fired their harpoons at Esther. She used her solar laser power to target the visor slits in their millennium-armored helmets. When her laser beam hit the eye sockets, their eyes exploded like popped poached eggs. But they weren't dead, just blind. In pain, the Knight Brigade took off their millennium visors. With their heads now completely unprotected, Esther opened her mouth and a laser beam pierced their heads, boiling them until they exploded. Now with her technique perfected, she made quick work of thirty of the Red Knight Brigade while Gorin stayed hidden. Seeing Esther distracted by laser frying his men, Gorin reloaded his millennium harpoon cannon and fired again. It was a good shot. The harpoon pierced Esther's right wing. Esther dipped in the air, but she kept flying erratically. Then she lost control, her left wing struggling to keep her balance without the right. Before she could find the source of the harpoon, another one pierced her left wing. In pain, Esther turned into an egg-shaped oval and tumbled through the air, falling. But with the agility of a cat, she landed upright on her two hind claws, yards away from Gorin. The Red Knight noted her strange solar cell armor that protected Esther's chest and neck. I see Zeno has perfected his solar technology, said Gorin. 
I'm glad your eyes can see what's plain to all, said Esther. But you won't have eyes much longer. You may kill me, said Gorin. But there are others who see with my vision. Every power plant has already been converted. People are used to fossil fuel. Your young king will see that and repent when he can't stop the blackouts. The young king has spoken the truth to my ear, Esther said. He will right the short-sightedness of his father. With solar, it will never be inexpensive or reliable. The sun doesn't shine at night. Batteries are too expensive. And don't forget the duck curve and new transmission lines, permitting. Why should Zeno invent another wheel? Why not continue with fossil fuel power? People want their inexpensive light, cold-refrigerated beer and hot jacuzzis. They want land prosperity now. Solar is a magic myth, nothing more. A myth, Gordon? Has not solar power just defeated you and your entire Red Knight Brigade? Zeno has only just invented the technology. He will scale it, lowering its price. More energy manufacturing and installation jobs will be created. Mark me, there will be prosperity and energy from sunlight and from all the clean energy technologies that are being developed as we speak. I don't believe it. If you doubt solar power, Gorin, then you bloody well won't believe this, said Esther. She opened her maw. A laser struck across the Red Knight's armor. Esther told me that Gorin seemed to only feel the heat at first, and then laughed at her. You see, Esther, your solar power has done nothing. It was only when Gorin saw blood seeping down the legs of his armor that he understood that he had been split in half. Gorin's torso fell forward and his waist fell backward. He was alive long enough to see Esther's right front claw pick up his torso, his intestines hanging down in gravity. Do you believe in solar now, Gorin? I do, Gorin said. And then he died. For once and last, I think you told the truth, Gorin. Good on you. Esther stared at Gorin's limp torso. Then, like a soft-boiled egg, she peeled open Gorin's armor using her solar laser beam. It split open, revealing Gorin's red chest. She then used her solar laser to slice off pieces of flesh while simultaneously cooking the pieces to a soft, medium-rare. Then she brought Gorin's cooked pieces back to her hatchlings for breakfast. Esther kept Gorin's severed head intact, however, when she and her fellow dragons returned power to the kingdom. She thought the cable news programs might want to have Gorin's head for a guest. And of course, being the modern media, they gave viewers warnings and then showed his decapitated head over and over again. The same image was spread over Twitterdom, TikTokdom, and Instadom. Only Facebook dumb decided to ban the image, but only for social media competitive reasons. That was the end of the Second Dragon War. Esther stayed with me until her five hatchlings could fly and cast their first breath of fire. She had saved a great deal of gold and gave it all to me so that I could perfect my new photovoltaic solar panel inventions. I thanked her. Not at all. Thank you for protecting me, Zeno. Where will you go now? I asked her. After you've scaled your solar, we'll return to Makito and stay there. We may not survive what humans have done, Zeno, but humans may not either. 
for all our sake, I'm rooting for you. As we've not seen dragons since they've left the kingdom, I don't think they survived. As you all know, the young king was as good as his word, and so was I. We are now well underway to transitioning the kingdom to sun and wind power with new energy storage technologies. But for now, without dragons, we are still reliant on some fossil fuels. We are moving quickly, but we are short of trained clean energy workers, new transmission lines, interconnection infrastructure, and sensible kingdom-wide permitting standards. And then there's that damn duck curve. If you don't know what that is, don't concern yourself. That's a story for another time. This story has been our Luxenchia energy history. As for Luxenchia's future, I urge you to lend your skills to our energy transition and to pray to the gods that Luxenchia's dragons, creatures, and flora will one day recover. And that's our solar dragon story. Despite it being set in a fairy tale world, there are lots of similarities to our real energy world. And you can see all those real world similarities in the true solar takeaways in the show notes. For example, the challenges that Zeno describes at the end of our story are very real. In the U.S. alone, we need another 700,000 new solar and clean energy workers by 2030 to meet our decarbonization goals. Also, to help solar scale, we're going to need many more transmission lines, interconnection infrastructure, and more universal permitting standards without red tape. The good news is that solar energy is now the cheapest form of energy in the world, hands down. There is no more competition on a levelized cost of energy basis. Sadly, we have our versions of Gorin and King Maxwell, who are set on their old energy ways. They're very rich and waging a public relations war on solar and other clean energy technologies. I hope you'll ignore that misinformation and do everything you can to help quicken our solar transition. So how did I come up with this story? Jealousy. I was jealous of dragons and people watching Game of Thrones, including me, instead of writing solar stories. And then I thought, what if there were a solar-powered dragon? How could that happen? And then I realized that dragons, if they existed, could heat boilers as well as coal, gas, or oil. But at what cost? The rest just came as I was developing the Luxenshire world and a war with dragons. As for probably true solar stories, solar noir season, we're almost at the end of season two. Next week, we're going to end our season with the continuation of our solar heist storyline. If you've been following that story, we'll have some more twists and turns, and yes, another cliffhanger. If you haven't heard those stories, check out our last episode of season one, Technically, it's episode 11. You'll find the first three parts there. Then you can come back to season two and listen to parts four and five, and then part six is next week. If you're enjoying Probably True Solar Stories, the most important thing you can do to support the show is to share these episodes with friends and family interested in solar, clean energy, audiobooks, and especially those thinking about transitioning their careers to solar. The Red Knight and the Dawn of the Solar Dragon was written and read by me, Tor, Solar Fred Valenza. Probably True Solar Stories is a production of Unthink Solar PR and Communications. Be bold for solar. 
stand out, and educate. See you next week.